Well, that was a fun ride. The Avalanche won 10 in a row, and then they ran into the one opponent they just couldn't get past, their own immune systems. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the Burgundy Radio Podcast for January 29th, 2018. Brought to you by the people who actually do cover the avalanche from their couches. Coming up on the show, it's All-Star Weekend for Nathan McKinnon, and the streak is over, and a general team-wide wellness check. But before we play the whoosh, say hello to your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us, as usual, is Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And also joining us, as usual, is Jackie, Tiger Vixen. Bonjour. On Monday, Avs make it 10 with a 4-2 asterisk win over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Blake Como, now Yakupov, whose name I will eventually say in one way or another. I'll settle eventually, don't worry. And Gabriel Bork, of all people, with goals. And Gabe Landeskog with a dagger. This game saw Austin Matthews score a goal that was called back for goaltender interference. For, as far as most of us can tell, no clear reason except karma. It's about time a terrible goal review went Colorado's way. Yeah, um, it's it's so random these days. I, I, you know, it's not something we should probably spend a lot of time talking about, other than to say, what is interference? But that's the end of the fun, because the next Tuesday, with the well, the next day, which was Tuesday, and also the next Tuesday, the Avalanche travel to Montreal and lose four two to the Canadiens with their goals from Nathan McKinnon and JT Comfer. Colorado looked frankly terrible for most of this game and got outshot 40 to 22 which I'm not sure but I'm told it isn't good then on Thursday abs lose 3-1 in St. Louis to the Blues with their lone tally coming from Alexander Kerfoot the team were outshot 16 to 4 in the first period so shout out to Bernier for keeping this one attainable and then shout out to everybody for making a solid game of it the rest of the way we've heard there's a nasty bug going around the team as I'm sure you have too uh, Colin Wilson's missed three games with it, but it's starting to look like half the team has it. And with that, the Avs hit the All-Star break in a playoff spot, technically, but tied with three other teams in the West with 57 points for that second wildcard spot. LA, Stupid Anaheim, and Stupid Minnesota are your pretenders to the throne. So before we talk about detailed stuff, do you think the Avalanche will make it? No. Yeah, I think they. I think they will. Um, I, I think like we talked about last week, um, the, the schedule, when you really look at it, despite it being road heavy in February, uh, there's a lot of junk there. You know, there's six teams or there's six games against teams that are really not not good at all. And then you have also Montreal and Carolina, who are also not that great. Um the Sharks who we've beaten before. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to think that they could actually be above where they are now at the, sort of as we get towards the trade deadline. I don't think they'll fall off a cliff or anything crazy like that, but it took them a 10-game win streak to get into a four-way tie for second place. So well, that was just making up for Matt Duchesne being on the team earlier. <laughs> Shots! <laughs> Heads up! <laughs> up for the suspensions. Remember that? Yep. That's but, that huge dip in those charts that Sean posts every morning. <laughs> the suspensions. The suspensions and the AHL schedule. That's what I'm going to continue to blame it on. Yeah. I'm um, going to blame it on playing too many other defensemen. 
<laughs> but <laughs> um, I, just, but I, I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They'll be close. They'll probably be close to close enough to talk themselves into things that maybe they shouldn't. But um, ultimately, they'll be close, but not quite. I mean, I, I, I think it, I think it really comes down to how much the younger players on the team grow over the next month before March, which does look like a just a disaster waiting to happen. So. It, it's it sort of hinges on how much better they are, you know, five weeks from now. Um, and that's, I, you know, I really, I, I can't really predict that at all. I mean, it, you know, there's some, some guys like they seem to be overachieving, but they're young. So they might just be growing or developing. So it's, it's, it's really hard to say how much more capacity they have to play better. I just um, feel like, maybe the closer that they feel like that they are to achieving that goal is they're not going to then double down on youth. They're going to go the other direction. You think they're going to buy? Not necessarily, but I think they're going to clutch to the vets. There's just not that many to clutch to. The ones they're clutching to now. (laughs) they're not going to play Kerfoot and Jost and Compromore. Like, this is what they want. And the closer they get to making the playoffs, they're not going to be like, hey, let's finally play Kerfoot 18 minutes a night. No. They're going to play Nieto and Como and Soderberg and Barbario and Nemeth, and that's the way it's going to go. I will counter that. I, I will counter that with, as soon as they were out of the Montreal game, they started playing Jost and Compromore. Sure, and... but that was like when they're to- when they're totally done. I mean, <laughs> complete. No, but it happened. It, it happened in the Blues game as well. Um, it, it looked like it, it looked like for the last three games of the streak, maybe three, four, five, that they started playing. You know, the 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 vet line, if you want to call it that, uh, more and more, such that there was, you know, a, a really obvious difference between the top six and the bottom six with the top six being McKinnon's line plus Soderbergh's line <clears throat> and the bottom six being everybody else. Um, and it, it just seemed like that was, that was a crutch for, for Bednar to get through that streak. But as soon as the streak was obviously going to be over, he went back to, you know, playing Jost more. And I think, I, I don't think he's going to not play Jost uh, I, I don't think he's going to play Jost any less for the rest of the season. You know, Probably I, I, I not. Think that, I think they really like the way he's playing. But I think that does kind of speak to the whole, like, if they got further out of the playoff race, then they would play them more. The closer they get to a playoff spot, they're going to kind of do what they do to kind of hold on to a win. Hoping not. Yeah. But, all right, you, you just, you, you look at before the streak, you'd think they would be doubling down on experience and anything to claw their way back into the race. And they weren't overplaying the vets as much as they were as the streak went on. So in the early part of the streak and beforehand, you know, they, they were still going with a, you know, a fair amount of Tyson Jost, JT Comfer, and whatnot. 
So if they've done both. So that just it makes it really hard to guess what they're going to do in what situation, I guess. Yeah, and, and there's been times in past games too where they've like tried to hang on to a lead by playing more of the Soderberg line and having that really bite them because you would have, you would see like Jost and Confer with really strong numbers while they were on the ice and then suddenly they're not on the ice anymore and suddenly the Avalanche are buried and give up the lead. Yeah. And they kind of did that when they had the four-game losing streak at the beginning of December. They kind of cut back, I think, on some of the youth. But, I mean, to be fair, they are, they're playing them. Like, I know other teams would, wouldn't have them playing near as much, but I just don't think there's going to be a whole lot more. Like, they should be making room for more, I think especially with how Greer and Toninato have looked. Plus, if Kamenev ever makes an appearance again, like there's so many players to work in at this point, it just it doesn't make as much sense to play kind of more veteran top heavy. But I feel like that's what they're going to do if they still feel like they really have a realistic shot at playoffs. It's just a real tough call to to both predict and to. I mean, just, you know, to make the right decision in, in each circumstance. Because there, there's going to be times when it seems like they're they're doing the exact wrong thing and it just works out because those guys happen to be on that night. So it's just tricky. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think you're right that that's sort of the default thing. That's what they try first. That's their plan A. Um, but we saw the other night when Barbario and, and Nemeth really struggled um, that they broke them up and... You know, they 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 started playing different pairings for the first time in a while. So I I, I think they're they're open to change, but I I think you're right that you know their their plan A probably they want to play the more experienced players more, um, but they're willing to go to others if it's not working out. I do wonder if some of that is them preparing for Barry's return because that's going to kind of split the pairs up when that happens anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll get to that. Like but... it seems like they, yeah, I mean, not go with Gerard with Lindholm as much, and that, that would was be nice. Of, yeah, <laughs> that, kind of that pair earlier on, and in kind of the last few games, they haven't done that as much. Well, the Lindholm enters the All Star break on a scoring streak. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't take him out of the lineup. He had a one hundred percent increase in scoring in the final game. You did. It's true. Um, I, I think if we, if we want to transition into what the team might look like at Monday practice, um, yeah, starting Monday, they're going to have access to a lot of different players they haven't for a while, possibly, um, at, at least in practice. So what, what they choose to do now with racking up the defense, new pairs, if that's sort of on the table, if Barbario's out or if he's just day-to-day, or we don't know um, when Barry's expected to be available, which looks like not right off the bat, but probably really soon. <clears throat> um, you know, that, that that could change quite a few things. Like, ad- adding Andrew Ghetto is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than people sort of think, because I, I don't think people appreciate what he does on a nightly basis. Even though it's not really a line for him. <laughs> he just kind of goes in the hopper with everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, I, you know, if you're looking at it from the Avalanche's point of view as to what they need to co- accomplish, a sort of over the next ten games, 
is they need to figure out what they've got. And not that I'm advocating adding, and not that I think that they'll really add anything, but they 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 kind of need to figure out who is sort of disposable as far as a, a trade deadline deal or something like that. Um, you know, who do you think that they're going to? Do you think they'll call someone up from the rampage either tonight or tomorrow morning? Um, they've got twelve forwards and seven D, as far as we can tell, maybe six D only. Um, Um, I think it depends on Andrew Ghetto and and I feel like we were pretty optimistic and believed what they said about everyone coming back after the bye week and that wasn't quite the case so I do kind of caution a little bit that we're not just going to see everybody at practice on Monday I guess we should mention uh, Totonato and Greer and Warsawski were all all reassigned to San Antonio on Friday? Yeah, right after yeah. the game. Right yeah, so they could game, play yeah. one game in the AHL and be off the, the NHL books for four days. I mean, that's a big deal right there. Yeah. So, um, um, anyway, Andrew Ghetto didn't skate the last uh, morning skate they had, and they were just kind of like, oh, give him a day of rest. But I think that's not a great sign for his availability. Um, he could have had very- the flu, though. I could it could be, but that's just yeah. not what they said. They could have said he wasn't feeling well. Um, no. Barbario, I'm. <laughs> well, we know that, but we'll at least you know, I'll at least trust their separation of guys into the sick and not sick pile. Um, Barbario, he skated that morning skate, so I can't imagine that that he is going to be out longer. I would count on him playing being available um barry it seems like he's very close he might not quite um be ready for uh tuesday's game but i I can't imagine he wouldn't play this week unless something changes farley's probably the big wild card is you know they kind of targeted this time but it definitely still seemed very fluid plus how bernier is playing but we can get into that specifically later um so getting back to your question, um, do I think they're going to call anyone up? I think they would call one up if Andrew Ghetto's not ready. Other than that, forward. I th- yeah, forward. Yeah. I don't think they're calling a defenseman up. I think Barry's yeah. close enough that they'd be comfortable with six going into Tuesday. I mean, assuming Barbario's okay, but I, I'm assuming that. And, and also assuming that nobody else came down with the flu this week but um i'm hoping they all went home and stayed far (laughs) away from each other (laughs) Um, yeah it seems like a lot of them went to veil is what a lot of the players did but anyway um they've uh, got ivs in veil clean mountain air um so i guess that's a good question yeah, I think what we're going to see from Barry is probably similar to what we saw from Comfort when he came back from his broken thumb, is that he's probably going to be a little bit limited in his hand skills right off the bat. And that's just something, you know, he's probably going to be, you know, a little off there for three or four or five games and then, you know, hopefully work through it. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to throw out, I know it's an extremely small sample size, but Warsawski actually looked good to me against the Blues, and he played significantly more than Lindholm did. Um, 
you know, I, I hate thinking this way, but you know, he he's actually probably the best call up right now. Uh, when you think about who who's available, um, you mean they should have swapped he and Lindholm? Uh, I mean, I like. I'm just saying that they had the confidence to play him more than Lindholm. I don't think they'll swap him. I, I don't think they'll send Lindholm down and bring Warsawski up. Um, but it just, you know, if they need another guy, he's probably the one that they'll call up. Like, you know, from what we've been watching Marianoff do down there, it's it's not pretty. And Yeah, that's another conversation to get into is, uh, is what's going to happen there. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. He definitely kind of get, gives... Bednar that better in confidence that he can play him. Um, he did look pretty good, particularly in the third period. I think he had some blunders early on, but you yeah, know. his first period was a little iffy. <laughs> but um, right, who, who didn't in that game? And 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 plus, you know, he hadn't played in a while. But I think the fact that he was there as the warm body, kind of like how Siemens was, got in the last game before he was sent down. I don't know that they really ever thought about playing him, but if the question is who's the next call-up, has he moved himself to the top of that list? I, I definitely think that's a fair question. I think I, I think with who was out, um, you know, being Barbario, I, I think that he could play some of what Barbario does, probably a lot better than like if you called up Siemens. Obviously, you know, he he, you know, Warsawski does make some if he plays in the defensive zone, obviously, but you know, he can move the puck. He's got a good shot. Um, so, you know, it's in, in that kind of role, I, I think they'd be comfortable with him. I, I think, you know, if it was something like they needed to replace Nemeth or Zadorov or something like that, I don't think they'd probably look to him. Um, it might bring up a good question of, can they move Barbario and just replace him with Warsawski for however long, it may be and right. i right that's where i was leading to yeah oh. and i think i think that's kind of and you do want to see more than one game but yeah. i think you kind of know what you're going to get with warsawski like he's not a kid so right he's 26 years old it's, it's this wasn't just sort of like wow i'm really excited to be here i mean he's played in the nhl before they've got they've got plenty of tape of him playing with the penguins and whatnot so I, he probably just reinforced what they thought he could be so, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, if Barbario is out, you know, they they might bring him back. Um, if they're, you know, if someone's dying to trade for Barbario, they it might make that a little bit easier for them to contemplate. Um, and that could change, of course, with Chris Bigra being um, back practicing with San Antonio and you know I know it's it's been ugly this year with, with Bigra but you know maybe he brings it all together finally and uh, becomes an option for a call up and, and he could play a role like that as well and probably probably better than Warsawski if you know he can get all his skills working at the same time that didn't uh, sound like a small if to me <laughs> it's not um but I think it, Sam kind of took his job, so it depends yeah. if they bleed on the left side. Well, it's just it, when you lose when you lose someone that moves the puck, and you already had Sam in the lineup anyway. You probably wanted someone who moves the puck at least a little bit. So I, I think that was a good fit there, regardless of the minutes. Um, 
and you know he he and Lindholm actually played decently together. Lindholm got his first point, so yowza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see if it takes another forty-four games. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, um, but you know, do, you don't like if Andrew Ghetto is iffy. Who do you think they call up out of Greer and Tonanato? Greer. I will say Greer because it seems like they think of him to replace a winger and they think of Tonanato to replace a center. Like when Jost went down, their first thought was Tonanato. Yeah. I think they think like that, like who can replace who. So it seemed like Greer has been hanging around and they, had, they hadn't played him in like a week. But it seemed like he was there the whole time specifically to be Andrew Ghetto insurance or replacement or whatever. So if Andrew Ghetto needs like, like a whole week, another week or something, I think Greer would come up. I think if they just have enough people to play that Tuesday game, they might just roll with no extras, but it is a road trip. So they seem to be a little bit more, I was going to say, you're going to Western Canada. This <laughs> yeah. is not an easy call-up, you know? I mean, yeah. if, if you need somebody, you need somebody. They're not going to be able to make it from San Antonio. Yeah, so so I think Greer is specifically Andrew Ghetto Insurance. Now, you know, I guess we could debate between which, which one between he and Tone and Otto is more effective or better in the lineup right now, but I think Greer probably... See, I would, I would go with Tone and Otto only because... If you're going on a road trip like this and you're, you know, you're you're down to 12 healthy guys that we know of. Um he can play both center and wing and if you're going to have a utility guy, he's, you know, he'd be a little bit more versatile than than Greer. And so, Toninato getting called up makes is probably going to make roster decisions a little bit easier in San Antonio because I think they think of Toninato and Bowden as filling the same role. So if oh, Tony Otto's gone, seriously, though, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that brings slot him right back. there between the Frenchies on the fourth line. And yeah, I want to talk plays. about something completely different <laughs> um, because I I still have the the, the uh, Sportsnet All Star Game feed up, and Ron McLean has been talking to Gary Bettman for a while, and they're now showing goaltender interference review highlights. So that sounds like is, fun. Is, is Gary going? <laughs> I have no is idea. Is Gary giving the, the thumbs up and thumbs down on each of them, just commenting like, "Yeah, nope, yeah, yeah, nope, yeah." <laughs> I, I honestly don't have the audio on because y'all will be able to hear it. Um, but I, I think that it's a good sign that he, if I mean, obviously Gary knows that's coming when he does this this segment. Like, it, it's a good sign that the league knows something needs to change. Otherwise, that wouldn't even be addressed. Didn't Batman yeah. send a memo, or he was going to, I don't know if he did it, but supposedly he either sent a memo, or he was going to, to tell the officials to not overthink it. Just, <laughs> <laughs> don't go frame by frame. Does that help? Don't talk yourself into goalie interference. Just look at it, make your yeah. call. I mean, I maybe. I don't think that helps. I but... just, I... I... I think it's like the uncertainty principle. The closer you try to measure it, the less accurate you're going to get it. So it's like, I, I think if you're looking at, at goalie interference calls, you, you either get it in the first 20, 30 seconds, like, yep, that's definitely interference. Or you're Tim Peel. 
Right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm just saying you don't be Tim Peel and sit there for five minutes and like, yeah, you know, I mean, this is really close. I, oh, well, yeah, no, well, uh, I mean, you just, right. you, you, you just have to have an impression right off the bat and say, yeah, that's goalie interference. Call yeah, it. like, don't talk your out of it. If you, yeah. if you look at the replay, like, twice and you don't change your mind, then just move on. Right. So, anyway, um, it, it, I think it's probably A.J. Greer that gets a call-up. I think they, they probably do make a call-up, just because, like you said, Western Canada is a difficult trip to have an emergency call-up in. Um, but, yeah. But more consequential than than Greer, Toronado, or Andrew Ghetto, like, we, uh, Barry's going to struggle, like you said, because most of his skills are hand-related skills. Yes, so they are. That's going to be a minute before he's back to back to normal. And when, on the last BSN pod, they had him maybe Tuesday, probably Thursday. Um, yeah. But the biggest question is going to be with the return of Simeon Varlamov. And this yeah, this is a big one. So yeah, you know. yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Because this kind of steps up. Like, does it really matter which of the thirty f- extra forwards they have play? Not really. Like, Barry, you know he's going to play, but it's just going to be a question of do they overuse him immediately or not. And I think easing him in is a good point, and they probably will. But, yeah, you, with the goalie, you're either picking one or the other, so there's no easing or hedging or anything. Yeah, it's it's not like you can give him a third period sometime and just see if he's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like either he's ready to win you a game or you don't use him. And, I, I mean, wonder- I... You could do that, but that probably well, yeah. means that the game's already over. Yeah, that probably name, means your name is Rick Tockett, but um... I, w- I wonder <sighs> if he starts out as the backup. Like they're like if they feel comfortable enough with where he's at, they don't need to bring Hammond back and to just kind of start him as the backup. I think they did that when he was sick, right? I think Bernier yeah. even started. Farley was the backup, so wonderful start that way. I think they will, um, because I, I think he would have to go through several practices for them to be confident to to put him in as the starter. Um, you know, it's not something the guy. You know, it's like the doctor says he's okay, and you're like, okay, put him in. You know, I mean, you you really want to be sure. Um, because it's like, you know, tossing away two points like that when you're tied at 57 with everybody else is just, you know, that, that's silly. Um, so I, I do think Bernier will continue to be the starter and, you know, they'll, they'll give Varley a start, you know, maybe they'll start him against Edmonton or something like that. Give him something. Which would not <laughs> be the best place to start him. <laughs> It's great for him. He's he's Has so he successful like against won? Edmonton. <laughs> he like in Edmonton. If he's ready, he'll win this game. Um, Good luck, Bruce Connor. Yeah. <laughs> hope, hope that groin's working. Yeah. So they, you know, I, I, I just I can't see how you can have a guy that just won ten games for you, or even just, you know, if if we want to be realistic, he's eight and two, eight and two in his last. 10 starts um you can't just say like well we're gonna go with this guy now he's been here for a while yeah uh, that's what i think i think bernier's kind of earned a little bit maybe respect's not the right word but just consideration 
that yeah, I mean, and that those two losses weren't on him at all. No, week and and the other thing is he plays better when he plays a lot, and if you still kind of want to get that out of him, still kind of got to play him. Which you got to play Varley at some point too if he's healthy, but. Well, it's like, you know, what What do you do if, you know, like, all right, Bernier wins the first two games back from the All-Star break, and then you put Varley in and he loses 5-4, to four, you know? Like, what do you do? You, you just, <laughs> if, if they're serious about trying to win, you have to play the goalie that is winning. I know, but it's, you know, the optics there. And um, I know, and then you're going to have everybody... And of course, you know, certain reporters being like, does this mean Bernier is your number one? And it's like. And and they should say that. Um, you are know, they like going to announce it, though? Like, actually say that? See, I, I, don't, I don't think they would say that unless they really, really move on to that kind of thinking. Like, to where if Bernier's healthy, he's starting, period. And I don't think they're quite ready for that. Like, I think they understand what he's done and the role he's on, but and and but if Farley's healthy, does Bernier even get one bad game before he goes back and sits? I like, don't, you know, it, it's it's inter like an interesting parallel right now is what's going on with the Blues and how Carter Hutton has taken the starting job away from Jake Allen, but they haven't named him the starter really, because um, <clears throat> they're kind of in the same boat. Um. You know, you have your guy, and your guy is not playing well, and and loses, you know, basically loses his job to the backup. And we've was seen he, this a little he... bit in the past with sort of you know JSG sort of taking Varley's job, but you know Patrick really wasn't willing to let it go more than say three starts in a row. Um, but. You know, if if you put Varley in and he loses, uh, you know, five to four, you know, can you can you really put him in in the next game? You know, maybe it's just something crazy. Maybe the D's just not on it or something like that. And you can say like, well, you know, three or four of those goals really aren't on the goaltender, and you know, we're gonna go right back with Semyon, and you know, we'll we'll try harder next time. Would Bernier get that same consideration now too? <laughs> See, that's tough. Like, yeah. Who gets the more consideration after a tough one? Is it Varley or is it Bernier? It's and I've heard that yeah, song I mean, with Varley before. Yeah, he'll he'll go like three weeks giving up three goals a game, and every game we're going, oh well, that one's not really his fault. Yeah. Um, but the 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 thing is now, and and despite. You know, despite the 96% save percentage for a large part of that winning streak, I think that demonstrated a little bit more of the capabilities of the team. So you can kind of take the team out of the, the equation easier. Um, you know, if you're, if you're the staff, if you're Bednar and Parkila, and you're talking about, you know, sort of who you want to start more or less as the starter. Um, you know, th this team is capable of winning with good goaltending or even just decent goaltending. And if they're losing a bunch and it's optically on the goaltender, it's probably the goaltender. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, Francois Beauchemin playing five minutes in a row or something like that. It's not something you can really lay on bad defense or 
you know, the team only scoring two goals a game or something like that. I mean, <clears throat> this team is built such that if you play decent goalie, you're, you're going to have a, a decent chance at winning the game. So, you know, if you start losing games, you know, four to three, five to four, you know, that there's no other excuse that that really is going to be on the goaltender. I think it's, you're probably yeah. right about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see it go both ways, but ultimately I think they'll settle back on Varley. I don't know if it'll happen right away because I, I do think Bernier's really built up a little bit of, you know, credibility or whatever you want to call it, leeway. Um, but I think just if they're both healthy and they're both going to have good and bad games and they're both going to have losses that, that were and were not their fault and I, I just think if you if you kind of if you're at that point it's going to tip towards Varley because I don't think at any time the organization has really been ready to move on from him and it, if that happens and this really is the first time where they really actually make someone a starter where it's obvious and it's not just for like two weeks or they name Bernier the starter, I think that would be a huge turning point in kind of this organization. I, I think I think Bednar was very frustrated with Varley last year, and I think, you know, I, I think that this latest growing problem is just sort of the last straw for him in his mind. He might not say that publicly or show it publicly, but I mean, you can tell yeah. that just he, he had no confidence in that, you know, here's my guy, and I know he can play 10 games straight if I need him to, whereas Bernier's proved that he can do that. that and that uh, can be possible, too. If he, if he really believes in Bernier, then... Well, it's, then I don't think it's even Bernier. I think it's, it's an anti-Varley thing because it's just... It's so difficult as a coach. You, you don't want to have to think about, like, if I put this guy out, is he going to blow up, you know? Um, you know, it's just having someone that's totally unreliable at a position that is so important in hockey is, is just something you don't need as a coach. I was trying to think back to his monsters run and, and we didn't really like pay that close attention to it. Um, but I do remember in the playoffs or the beginning of the playoffs, he switched goalies. He did. And he rode with one, I think, all the way till the end. So, and they were more of a tandem, but and I forget, I forget which two it was. You know, both it was of, a obviously. Corpus Allo was one. Yeah. Was it yeah. Forsberg and Corpus Allo? It was. Um, but you know, it's it, it's obvious he wants to ride a guy. He wants to have a a goalie that he can just in his mind say like, all right, if I if I put this guy in net. You know, the, the team in front of him is going to be confident. I'm not going to worry about uh, something other than gameplay taking him out of the picture. Um, you know, and I, I, I have to think that, that sort of the management is, is in the same boat with Varley, just because I, I don't think that they would have been so willing to take on Hammond. Um, <clears throat> you know, if they were really confident that Varley was, was healthy and going to make it through the whole season. And they, they do have an organizational need for a kind of a quadruple-A guy like Hammond, but they don't have a place to stick him because they share their AHL franchise, so... Which I think it worked out perfect. I think they should start loaning out um, their prospects other than sending them to ECHL. Yeah, I mean, why not? 
that should be oh. a, a new thought. Like Utica, I think at one point, I don't know if if it is right now, but at one point they had nine guys on PTO playing on their team. So at that point, <coughs> why don't you take some prospects from, say, another team that can't get played? But anyway, um, yeah, I think they had it. I agree. I think they had a need for Hammond because they don't want to call up Spencer Martin and have him sit around as as the third goalie, things like that. So I think it did work out pretty much perfect in that regard. But um, but I agree with the point that um, Bender does seem like he kind of wants to ride a certain goalie and he doesn't want to go back and forth, which kind of brings the up the question of like, are they going to kind of really slow play this Varley coming back? Because it's easier for them to to kind of hide behind than saying, well, Varley's healthy, but he's just not really playing right now or playing occasionally. It makes more sense just to say, well, he needs more practice, and they could probably get away with that for quite a bit. On he's top sick. of uh, they, <laughs> Yeah, throw him, in the, throw him in the infirmary with everyone else. But, I mean, they can also ride the Bernier's been playing well. It's He's earned his net right now. We're going to keep giving yeah. him the opportunity to keep it because he's been a big part of a 10-game winning streak. And I do think they'll eventually give Varley a chance to win the net back. But I th- yeah, they definitely will because Joe has said many times that, that you should not lose your job due to injury. Exactly. But right now, this it is... It happens, though. Yeah, this is... Mm-hmm. Bernier's kind of taken over that net and it was a little bit... Sp- suspicious whether that would happen or not with how the beginning of Bernier's season was, but with how December and January have played out for him, he's definitely earned the opportunity to prove which of those two months was going to be real. Maybe both are real. I don't know. But for the rest of the season, we, we, we want to see which one is going to be the one that he sticks with. Yeah. <laughs> and then this this leads to a question which I'm sure we'll get to over the summer a lot or maybe later on in the season is just you know, if Bernier consistently outplays Varlamov, what do you do? Well, I, I think if they ever make the organizational kind of like switch where they're not backing Varley, because everything they've ever done was back Varley. And I think yeah. it would be huge if they didn't. And I think at that point, yeah, you do need to think about signing Bernier. And, you know, is it a little too early to think of that? Like, you need to revisit it after he's had a bad week or a bad stretch or seeing what happens when Varley gets back. But it is a question that that is there and isn't going to go away is what are they going to do? And I think, you know, could they find cheaper on the market than Bernier? Probably. Could they find someone better than him on the market? Probably no. not. It seems like he's working well with Parkila. It just seems like, why would you give that up just to maybe go shopping and maybe find the same thing? Like, if if he's happy here, if we're happy with him, it works. You know, he's not going to be this great all the time, but he's going to be worth starting most of the time. Then I yeah. think you do need to explore what it would take to lock him up. Yeah, and the, and the tough thing is, is Varlamov still has time on his contract, and, it, you know, it's like you can't really have a vet tandem, like, the only time tandems have really worked are when it's an older goalie and a guy who's, um, you know, maybe in his first couple of years in the league. Um, but having two guys that have started before and are basically competing against each other as equals. 
for a job I mean, like that. It's, yeah, it's really I mean, tough. So it's like, I, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot more to that story that won't play out until after the season, if that ends up being the case. I mean, yeah, you, you hate, you would hate it for like the locker room and, and any problems it would cause. And that just from a, they're going to have a ton of cap room next year. You're not going to find a better backup than Varlamov, assuming, you know, he can play. You know, that'd be the perfect situation where you'd make it, I guess, to have the transition. If Bernier's going to be around for a few years. But it's not like you need to buy Varley out, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Unless, unless... unless you think there's going to be way too much conflict and problems there. But if you get rid of Varley, you're still having to bring in some sort of NHL-quality backup. And there's a lot of dudes out there, but... You know, you, you want a little bit better than just anyone. I, I think the only reason you move on from Varley is if you're just convinced that he's never going to be reliable enough to even be a backup. Well, I don't think and you that, want him as a backup anyway. Like, if it if it happened next year he's a backup, then fine, because they have the money for it. But, but yeah, just, you would never keep him as a backup. Yeah, he's just right. got the one more year on his deal, and then I think he's out of here. Right. Right. Like you could, you know, if, if, if he was, you know, if it becomes obvious, like say he hurts his groin again next month, <laughs> um, then, then you're kind of like, you know, this, this is it. And either you LTIR him or if it, well, that's, I mean, that's never going to be the case cause they'll never spend enough to need that. But you know, <laughs> that, <clears throat> um, I, you'll I have to, do, you'll have to do something such that. You know, he's not on the roster all the time, and yeah, like, you're not like, playing I him. Just, I still can't ever see them buy him out. I mean, just from how, you know, how much they supported him in this and that. I could see them have, like, a a number three goalie start in the AHL that would be of NHL backup quality. It, as if they see kind of on the horizon that if Barley's just going to be on IR most of the year. Is kind of where I think maybe they would go with that. Yeah, it's just you know it's it's a really tough situation, but I, you know I I think they would consider buying him out um, if they weren't convinced that he could play an entire season, you know, not entire. Let's say three. If he can't make it through three quarters of a season without getting hurt again, what'll eventually end up happening is question. when this team's ready to make the next step, they will. Probably because of their lack of pipeline, have to make another trade similar to the Varley trade, where they have to overpay for a young, good goaltender, like no. Colton Point from Colgate. Yeah. I don't. I'd rather see Bernier sign for five years than see that happen. No, no. <laughs> I would a first and second round pick on a goaltender. No, thank you. I don't mean specifically like, a first strong. and a second. I mean, a, I mean a little bit of an overpay to get somebody that you can have be your strong number one starting goaltender. It may be what, where they eventually have to do because their drafting and development of goaltenders has been so poor. But I, I know you hate trading picks, Jackie, mistake. but if they could get Colton Point for a sec for their extra second this year, what would you think of that? And 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 let's just say that they were probably gonna take a goalie with their second with that pick anyway. It would depend if they actually did something to get more picks. That would that would factor into my decision. 
Um, well, I mean, if you're gonna take if you're gonna take a goalie in the second round, but you end up trading that pick to Dallas for Colton Point, and I'm just making this all up because I love Colton Point. <laughs> but but wasn't he you know, drafted he, in the fifth round like a year ago? So I think it was two years around two years ago. Um, and yeah, he definitely was. But he's you know he's definitely also one of the best goalies in the NCAA right now. Um, you're basically the you know with a second round pick, you're buying you know, what you would expect from a second round pick on a goalie, except he's two years older and more developed. If they had extra picks, it'd be something they could think about. But if, if this is the only extra pick they have because they cannot manage to make one deal to bring in another one, aside from trading a core player, I mean, then I'd say get one in a berry trade. Yeah. That's, then that's a thing too, but that's just, that's kind of looking a little bit down the line, and that's a whole episode in and of itself. Is what is yeah. it, what does the team do with its goaltending? We, we've got plenty of episodes in the summer to discuss that. Um, Some of them, yeah, I, I, I think. Kind of thing. Sure, I I think uh, yeah, I I think it's really going to be interesting to see how they handle this for the next three or four weeks. But do they even really think they have an issue, a problem? I mean. If they were really that concerned about the goalie pipeline, wouldn't they have done something the last few <laughs> drafts? Oh, you uh, make me laugh. No. <laughs> so no, they, no, necessarily not. Problem, then... What do you mean? They did something. They drafted guys in the fourth round, overagers <laughs> from Europe. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe they're. I mean, maybe they're asking for goalies in the core play that. But we know those happen every once every two years, so we'll just have to wait for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Vasilevsky made a mask save in the All-Star game. That's what you want to see, right? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, the, the, the All-Star games are, are going right now, and honestly, I I kind of low-key think the Atlantic's jerseys and whole kit is actually kind of cool. Nice. I like gray jerseys, so... I, I don't. I think that's super boring. The Rampage Gray jerseys are the worst. No, they're not. But I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know where they came up with this like hot yellow, hot pink color scheme idea, but if this, this wasn't a bad way to do it with this particular blue Atlantic kit they got going. Especially because so many teams in the Atlantic are blue. Oh, I see. They don't have much gray on that. Yeah, the blue and yellow is interesting. I don't mind the gray and yellow, even though it is a little too Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, Central Division fell to the Pacific, and in their game, Nathan McKinnon did score a goal. And uh, yesterday in the skills competition, Nathan McKinnon had a lap in the fastest skater competition, and he brought home about a 14.0 seconds time. And then after that, things got really, really boring at the skills competition last night. I, I always watch that. Honestly, every year I watch the skills competition because something goofy and funny happens. And this year, like, I had a Canadian feed and they had a headset on P.K. Subban during the passing challenge. Or I would have quit watching even earlier. I made it about an hour. Then I was like, I'm bored. I'm going to do something else. (laughs) Yeah, I did not watch the skills challenge because I had about five other games to watch yesterday. But um, I I do kind of like the skills challenge and I guess... Because you should say something that I didn't really find time to watch it, but 
I think there is something to be said for having kind of all the best players together show, showing off. Like, that's the point is to say these guys are the best in the world. This is what they can do. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's better than, than the game aspect. Yeah. But I think what would be better is if they really trended towards the younger guys. I think if it had been like Barzal and Keller and, you know, all these other young guys that were, a few of them were there like Besser. And I think that's what people want to see. Like, that's what brings the excitement. Yeah, showcase the future. Yeah. No, no, everybody wants to see Patrick Kane. Everybody told me so. Right, like, how many times do we need to see those guys? Like, watching Crosby, and, a, and I, maybe he's not the best example, but you know what I mean? Like, that's just not that exciting anymore. Like, people have yeah. seen it. They've had their time. They, they certainly deserve to be honored as the best in the league, but what people want to see is the young guys. Yeah, I think the skills challenge really sh- kind of highlights things you don't see in games, but that... You know, they're, they're very skilled individuals that can do things that you can't do in games because it's too fast and too much is on the line. But yeah, you know, I, I think they should try in the skills challenge to do things. I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like a circus, but more sort of circus type stuff. You know, stuff like wow, I I had no idea you could do things like that. You know, puck skills, skating skills, that kind of thing. Really show off. <clears throat> you know what what these guys are are capable of outside of a game maybe a little bit more game like not necessarily just kind of drills is what a lot of the skills competitions are but something kind of like yeah Uh, like more of a mini mini kind of game situation stuff yeah i mean don't make it goofy with like flaming hoops or anything but you know it's just like there there are things you see guys do in warm-ups and you're just like oh my god i can't believe humans can do that with a stick and a puck you know well, there was a moment last night, like basically right before I gave up on it, when they were doing the like the goalies were making saves, and part of the reason I gave, I gave up on it was I didn't quite understand the rules of what was happening, because sometimes yeah. the goalies would miss a save and their time would be over, and other times they would miss a save and they would get to keep going, and I couldn't tell the difference between <laughs> one thing and the other. Um, but but as he comes down with the puck, PK Subban just throws his glove at Henrik Lundqvist, and it's like that's fantastic. <laughs> That's the kind of fun this, that, that this event used to have. They used to have Goldies yeah. doing the fastest skater. They used to have Duncan Keith <clears throat> skating backwards in the, for the fastest skater. I mean, it's all played so straight now that it's just not that interesting. Yeah. It's like if you no. kind of try to force that stuff, then it just gets way too goofy. Like, the, the trick shootouts. Like, you want to see what a guy can do, but when he starts, like, bringing all these props in and, you know... Yeah, like Duchesne like... with his hat. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. funny. That was, but it's just, you can't do that again. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel spontaneous. Then it's like, let's try to be as goofy as possible. And then it's just kind of, then it gets in the lame territory pretty quick. But, but yeah, you got to try to find that balance between kind of like loose fun, but still organic. Yeah, because I mean, if you want to watch hockey players really doing cool stuff, it's when they're, they're not trying to do cool stuff, you know? You know, it's like you watch sort of like shoot-arounds, um, you know, when there are no fans around or anything like that. It's like, or even things like, you know, O'Reilly with his thing flipping all the pucks into the five-gallon bucket and things like that. I mean, they're just, there are a lot of skills that are really cool 
that you know you you, you could contrive a way that doesn't look dumb uh, to show off in in a competition like that. Well, there's definitely a, a positive mention to be made for the inclusion of women's hockey and in, in a couple of the events. Like Hillary Knight, I think, came in third in the accuracy competition. Nice. Um, so I mean it. There, there's some some positive things happening here and there that that I think would be cool to see more of. Like, where do yeah all all, all these kind of levels of play come against each other? But uh, yeah, that would be neat. For for the most part, this year was just a, a joyless slog that I could not sit through anymore. And if it hadn't been for 15 minutes of Ron McLean chats with PK Subban, I would have not been interested. Was that Ron? It might have been Jim Houston. I don't know. It was somebody. It didn't matter. It was PK. Yeah. But anyway, the all the All Star game itself. But, but I is... do I do understand like from the people who have to produce that you know the show from start to finish how difficult it is to try to come up with moments like that. Yeah, I get the feeling that that they knew very well that that particular event was going to be god awful, and and that's why they had PK talk throughout it just because it's just like you're watching people try and fail to hit a target that's insanely hard to hit so sometimes <laughs> it takes them 15 tries and it's like okay <laughs> let's move on here I know I think it was know, a good like, idea or go ahead it's, it's kind of like the home run derby in in the baseball all-star weekend you know it's like when they first had it everyone's like oh my god this is so cool and like you know now that's now that you see it a hundred times, it's just like, all right. Plus, everybody can hit a hundred home runs in Major League Baseball now. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's not <laughs> special. I think actually going to the three-on-three was a decent idea because it, it it's kind of getting closer to what we're saying where there's room for these guys to make plays. It's a little bit more fun. It's easier to watch. Like when you just would watch a regular All-Star game and they'd all be on the ice – you, know, you don't yeah. know who to watch. They're just all there at the same time. But, you know, as it's on right now, you can see these guys making plays like Kucherov and Eichel just had a really crazy goal. And so that's what you want to see is what, what those guys can do together. Yeah, I remember when they first went to the three-on-three three for the NHL and they still had the five-on-five five in the AHL. And I was watching that and I'm like, that was a mistake. We should definitely <laughs> go for three-on-three three here too because – Five on five with people not giving too many craps is bad. Like Sidney Crosby right. just kind of held the goaltender against the boards behind the net. Like that's that's fantastic. Yeah, more of that. Yeah, like they seem like the three on three is more fun, so they're yeah. they're at least trying stuff and and making those skilled plays that people like to see, rather than yeah, just like just a total boring. Nobody cares. Nobody's doing anything. Five on five. Yeah. Yeah, because they're they're doing it at half speed, five on five, and 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 at the AHL, that's that means like one quarter speed. So it's just <laughs> it's yeah. just like, no, yeah. we shouldn't do this again. <laughs> yeah, three on three is more fun for sure. It it definitely opens things up and lets guys just kind of goof around a little bit more than five on five does because there's so much more space and so much more fluidity. But I mean, I to have an all star game itself i mean i just feel like it's really kind of outlived its usefulness because of the the current state of technology in the world i mean we have the ability to watch pretty much any team we want on any given night we have cable packages where we can subscribe to 30 nhl channels and 
Game Center and other, you know, questionable ways of watching games. You can you don't have to wait for the All Star game to watch the best players in the league anymore. I the I I, I, I mean the whole event s- is just a little bit outdated to me. I think people still love seeing the best together. That's why people get into, you know, the Olympics and and other things like that, you know, maybe or obviously have different reasons, but people just love seeing the best play together. Like when can you see, you know, McKinnon and Kane playing together or whatever. I still think there's value in that. And, yeah, there is. And something you're never going to see again. Like, like I, th- I really think from the World Cup, even though that was kind of a, you know, there, there were some mixed opinions there. But that Team North America, I think, was the coolest idea. And it kind of get, gets back to what I was saying about the young guys. But them ha- having all those young guys playing together, I think, was, like, the neatest thing to watch. And so I think there's interest there and in, in things like that that you're never going to see just watching regular games. They just have to figure out a way to take the best parts of that out and take out the dated parts. One thing I saw this week was that they were hinting that the next World Cup might be 2020 in February. Obviously, that would probably take the place of the All-Star game. Um, what, what would you guys think of that instead of an All-Star game? Oh, that would be that, cool. I didn't be, mind yeah. the World Cup, honestly. Yeah, I, I really didn't hate it as much as... There were, there were some things I didn't like. I didn't like that they played three exhibitions and then three regular games. To yeah, me, I that, think it was way was, too long. Um, I think one exhibition and then make the rest count. But but I didn't hate it. I actually thought it was fun. I liked the teams they picked for the most part. I loved the the young kids team. I think it went better than a lot of the critics said it would. Um, yeah. I hadn't heard I, that they're thinking about doing it in February, though, which would kind of be better. It was a little weird doing it before the season. Yeah, I, I think my main complaints with it were that it was too long and it was at the wrong time of the year. Um, I, I think if they did it and in, they did it over, I mean, I, I don't think you'd even need to do it over a week. Um, you might be able to get it done like from a Wednesday through a Sunday or something like that. Um. But if you could do something like that, just sort of not, you know, not eight teams. I don't think you'd need to do that. But, you know, just have some sort of best on best World Cup that was maybe, you know, six teams, something like that. Um, I, I think there'd be a lot more value in that rather than having it in September when outside of hardcores, no one's really thinking about hockey. I didn't mind it as a preseason tune up. I, if, especially if it had like replaced the preseason, I wouldn't have minded it so much. Um, obviously, you're gonna yeah, have but to... I'm just, I'm saying for like your your average knucklehead that's yeah. not really a hardcore hockey fan. But, I mean, you, you kind of have to look at it from a team's perspective too. Like it's gonna be cool if they do it in February. I I will enjoy it probably better than I did in September. The only issue is you're gonna have um, kind of the same injuries. thing as the Olympics. You're gonna have people <laughs> who are worried about injuries. You're gonna have your team yeah. your coaches saying, "I don't know that we want you go into this." Yep. Um, I don't know. The NHL is pretty good at twisting people's arms, so. If it was short, the shorter it is, I think it would help. Like. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you if you you know if you only broke the season from a Wednesday to a Sunday, and you know shoved it all into that, 
you know, have, uh, you know, I, I, it, it would suck if it was just a single elimination 18 tournament or something like that, but that might be just how you have to do it. But, um, something like that, I think would have a lot more value over an all-star game and it, it would make it enough different from the Olympics that it, you know, it doesn't have the optics of trying to take that over. Yeah. Yeah, I could see something like that work. As long as everybody's able to stay healthy and uh, avoids doing things that are technically legal, but maybe they shouldn't, like fighting each other. Yeah. But at any rate, the the all-star formula is definitely... They're continuing to tweak it, and it really needs more of a rework. I I think all of us seem to be on the same page with that. Like the I mean, there's are, only so much you can, yeah. There's only so much you can tweak out of that, you know. Because because part of the reason that the All Star Game best on best formula doesn't work so much is they don't give half of a shit. Yeah. So it's like yeah, you're watching the best on best doing you know highly skilled things, but they're also doing it with almost no uh, what's the word I want? Resistance. Yeah. <laughs> I think they actually are having an offside review. Oh, I hope so. I... For real. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that, that means it's time to talk about something else. <laughs> let's, let's talk about our stars and scratches. <laughs> Fucking offside. No goal. Scratch. No goal. Scratch no. the offside review. <laughs> Oh boy! Just like regular hockey. No <laughs> so number one scratch goes to the offside review. <laughs> to the officials. Um. Hmm, that's a good question. So I think a, a good star goes to Bernier. Um, I don't think it's his fault in any way that the team has been. Has lost its winning streak. Not at all. Yeah, he's been fabo for weeks. Um, I'll, so I'll give one to know. Kerfoot. Yeah, the fake points just keep coming. <laughs> Love those fake points. Yeah, that's it. It's it's something that is sort of a key component of the Avalanche this year. Is that you know obviously the first line was. You know, however you want to look at it, either they were sick or the matchups weren't working out in their favor, but they just, you know, they weren't really on it this week. And they needed depth scoring to, to step up, and, and Kerfoot was a big part of that. He was. And then how about a star for uh, the off malign Gabriel Bork? I'm done with that. I think he's been fine. More yeah. than fine. Um, I would for the Toronto game. I don't know if I would give him a full star. Three quarters. I mean, of a star? He... <laughs> One third. No, so now, How about now he can share a star with Anton Lindholm for getting his first goal? Okay. <laughs> um, I know it's it's. You know, it's it's terrible that it took so long for Anton to score that. He, I mean, we've seen him in the AHL with a little bit better scoring skills than he's shown so far in the NHL. Um, 
you know, all, all it took was David Warsawski to make it happen, I guess. But, you know, I, I think <laughs> he has more to give than zero points in 44 games. Well, who, who was on the ice? It was Joe's, wasn't it? Um, trying yeah, to remember Joe's which goal it. was that. Was that, that was Kerf, wasn't it? The rebound goal. Yeah. And Joe's so, passed it back to him. So I think, I believe everyone on the ice was Gerard. Joe, yeah, Sam went- Kerfoot, Lindholm, you know, maybe that's why he scored all that younger, faster. Yeah. Creates points. <clears throat> um, and I'll preempt you, Jackie, and give Sam a star because that play without a stick is like all time highlight material. Oh man. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not that, not that he didn't do other wonderful things throughout the week, but um that was just amazing and i i also really like a, a lot of the press that he got over the week you know we we, we spent two-thirds of the week in the center of the hockey universe in toronto and montreal and i i think a lot of the mainstream hockey media got their first real look at him and it was overwhelmingly positive yeah it, i knew it'd be great fun i knew that him going to montreal would be great fun because and it and it's too bad it was on a back-to-back so they didn't really yeah. get like a full day to get into it but i knew it was such a big deal for him and for them for him to play there i guess i didn't expect so much the attention from the toronto media so that was really cool that that they that they were impressed or that they realized because i think we don't quite realize it and just kind of how special he is because you know you don't want to single him out you know there's a lot of things this team's doing and this and that but I think yeah when you see it kind of through the big media's eyes and you see kind of how how they took in watching him it does kind of like make you realize just like wow this guy really is a really special talent and what he's doing now even the little things he does here and there really is kind of is special and it's adding up. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, every review you read of, of the people's impressions of, of Sam's, whether it was the Toronto game or the Montreal game, they're all just like, wow, this kid is just incredibly skilled. Um, yeah, and I think he made that... some of his best plays of the week in St. Louis too. I, th- I yeah. think offensively and defensively. Yeah, I mean, I you know he he was the guy I would nominate for least likely to have had the flu this week, <laughs> <laughs> which leads us to scratches. Because my scratch is influenza. Yeah, that would be my first scratch as well. Um, yeah, it's hard to single anyone out because yeah, it was kind of collectively the team didn't quite have it at looked, certain points. Let's do it this way: who looked the sickest? <laughs> Maybe Landeskog. That that's what I'm thinking. Landeskog think looked so just out of it on on Thursday. And you feel bad for him, like you know he's not playing bad because he's just having an off night. You know he's got a damn good reason to play badly. Yeah, but, man. Um, and it's Z- low- Zadorov looked yeah. horrible all week, um, especially in Toronto. Yeah, I think he got um, better as the week yeah. went on, but. Yeah, it's low-hanging fruit to pick on the worst defenseman, but I don't think Nemeth had his best week. Yeah, I was going to say, Nemeth and Barbario in Montreal was scratch-o-rama. Um, but, 
um, you know, they they work. I, I I would give Nolan Pratt kind of a star for the work he's done all week because he's had a lot on his plate with guys that are sick and Barbario who had, you know, he's we've seen his right ankle wrapped all week, and uh, he was obviously out for the St. Louis game. <clears throat> he's had to juggle a lot of stuff. Orsovsky made his debut. He had pairs that were ineffective. He had to use the blender. Um, you know, a- after 10 straight games where he really was kind of set and forget with a lot of the pairings, um, he really had to work hard um, for at least Montreal and, uh, and St. Louis. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it'll be real interesting when Barry comes back, what they do, because um, I hope it isn't just kind of put Barry back in and forget it. And, and the point about he- easing him in is good because I don't think they can just play him 21, 22 minutes a night right off the bat. So No, nah, nobody but could. I, but I'm really interested to see what they do because Zadorov has earned a bigger role. Gerard's earned a bigger role since Barry's been out and kind of how do they weave that back together. Yeah. And really weren't, you know, I think other than influenza, I I really don't have a problem with anyone's game this week. I mean, it's, you know, and anyone that was playing poorly, you could really chalk it up to looking slow like they haven't in a long time. And, you know, if it's anything but the flu, I'd be really surprised. But sure, nobody's looked like bad, bad for for yeah. weeks, which you know the streak helps that, and and you know maybe they are collectively getting better. It, it's it is tough to find somebody to really single out as as one of the poorest performers of the week. Yeah, I mean it's kind of nice when you go through a streak like that, and then you lose two games, and you're really not sitting there like God, this guy is terrible. You know, I mean you're you're not. You know, there's no real scapegoat. Right, like that guy came back to reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think that does speak to the fact that they're, you know, they're not obviously, you know, 10-0 and 0 good, but they're, I, I think they're probably right where they should be in relation to the other teams in the, in the conference. So, in summation, yeah, they lost a couple in a row. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Don't panic. Yeah. Um. I, I, a hater, have found one positive thing to say about the All-Star game, and that's that it's very cool when, in Tampa, a Tampa player scores a hat trick. That's a cool moment. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Shout out to Cooch. Um, that's that's definitely a for the fans kind of thing. You know the fans are going to remember that. Yeah. I'm like, like even the, the teams are throwing their buckets on the ice. Like, that was pretty neat. <laughs> but those points don't count. Those are actual fake points. Those are real fake points. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't come in garbage time. They're just not there. So no problem for Nathan McKinnon and his uh, scoring race. He did score, though. He did score, though. uh, It was also a real fake point. (laughs) He had a really fake point. So do we want to wade into the muck and, and touch that other thing that we have danced around and not said anything about yet? Why not? Sure. Everyone else Play is talking about it. Um, sure. And I mean oh, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let y'all 
cover what happened on this because I, I missed most of it and I kind of noticed what was going on during the fallout because it seemed to happen like in the morning and I was doing something else, a.k.a. sleeping. <laughs> well, Jackie, you had you you had the introduction right on, so why don't you go ahead and lay it out? Okay, obviously we're talking about the Chambers thing. Correct. Okay. Wait, I thought we were, yes, the Chambers thing. Well, you know, you never know. I mean, if you're asking for me to start a rant, you know, I have a few that I could pull out of my back pocket. Yeah. But, no. Just Same. for clarification's sake. Okay, well. Um, you know, it started with a comment about uh, that Chambers is the chair of the Colorado chapter, the pro- Hockey Writers Association and how he won't let the folks from BSN in. And then then he made a comment that he doesn't allow couch reporters in and those who have written profanity on Twitter at some point. You know, like, I'm sure we all have in our lives. But, okay, Mike Chambers is obviously, you know, uh, upstanding. And then somebody made a comment about... It wasn't even really attacking him. It was just kind of like, you know, there's always chirping going on or some such like that. And then Chambers said... And then Chambers' brain fell know, out. Yeah, put the keyboard down and you and me go at it. We'll fight MMA style. If you sign a release, MMA is legal. And <laughs> Those which is kind of ironic... Because he is threatening a guy through Twitter and the keyboard. And, you know, then it all blew up because that tweet about the MMA and everything. I mean, it doesn't even really matter how it started. Just the fact that he tweeted a challenge to a fan. To a Twitter random, essentially. <laughs> is, you know, got a lot of attention around the league. You know, hockey Twitter and people in Toronto and such. And... It was yeah, that's that's when it really took off is really when everyone in Toronto saw it and is just sort of like, and this is a real guy, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't take much out of it. I don't think much is going to change. But, you know, if, if people outside this market can kind of understand that Chambers does not represent, you know, the avalanche media and what people are doing in Denver, because you still see a lot of, outside the market people looking towards him first for what's being reported out of Denver and, and, and things like that. And if maybe they just realize that he's not kind of the top of the pyramid around here, maybe that's a good thing. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of his articles get hoovered up as, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the truth you know, by places, you know, sort of BuzzFeedy places or pro hockey talk on NBC and things like that. Are they still uh, referencing, though? I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll hear like a real source or a real radio show and, and they say, oh, you know, this is what the Denver Post is reporting. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, you know, especially yeah. on certain things like the draft, you know, certain things like he can kind of get injury news and maybe some updates because, you know, the team is still giving the Denver Post maybe an exclusive or giving them information. So to that extent, I understand, but you know, when it comes to more analysis or asking what's going to happen, who's going to get called up, you know, 
what's going to happen at the draft. You just, you can't use that as a source. And if that's what yeah. comes out of it, that's kind of what I'm looking at. You know, as far as the, the issues between the he and BSN and, you know, some of these other things going back and forth, I think, you know, it's interesting from a popcorn perspective, but, you know, it, nothing's really going to come of it, I guess you could say. The popcorn I, I, perspective is my favorite perspective, and I, that's why I'm I'm so glad that it reached Leafs Twitter when it did, because with with Toronto being the biggest market, that means they're also the worst media market, which means they're also the best at taking the piss out of bad media. So, as soon as those dudes hear about um, what they famously call over at Pension Plan Puppets, the mitten stringers, doing something ridiculous... <laughs> You know that you know that dude is gonna have a big stink fest to live down now. But I still hope it's just not part of the LOL Rotter kind of thing, you know, where it's just like. Well, what? I mean, hopefully it helps that. I mean, hopefully you know this sort of tarnishes his reputation, such that you know other people get a look as far as go to media on you know on the serious afternoon shows and, and things like that. Um, you know, but I, in a in a way, I would say you know it it helps give BSN some visibility, but also to you know people that aren't aware of them go and check it out. They're behind a paywall. Like if you don't know what they do, you're not going to pay to check it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and the post is going behind a paywall now too. Um, right. I think it's like after certain so many views, but yeah, basically so. Um, but not, the, the, the not thing everything. I'm wondering, the, the thing I'm wondering about is that, um, you know, obviously the post probably won't fire him or, you know, anything like that, even though other people have gotten dismissed for similar type outbursts, not similar, but, you know, Twitter outbursts that were uncalled for. Um, but the, the thing I wonder about is sort of, you know, we know that the Avs, PR staff and, and other parts of KSE monitor basically anything that's written about the team or anything that goes on with Hi, uh, websites that cover the team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but it, you just sort of wonder, you know, obviously that there are players that, that aren't fans of Mike Chambers and then haven't been for quite a while. Um, you sort of wonder what are the ramifications inside the Avs and KSE as, as sort of his status um, you know, it, it's, I, I can't, I can't think that they'd be too impressed with it, but it, I doubt they'd be surprised either, but just kind uh, of par for the course. I just don't think you can yeah. let it go. I mean, this is just like, this, you can, this cannot be the representative of your media market challenging yeah. randoms to an MMA throwdown if they sign a waiver first. Like, are you serious? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but we're still not past the, you know, the newspaper is the king of the hill. Like, even yeah. though the thinking is starting to change, it's still, it's still there. It's still out there. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I mean, they're just, they're, they're more outlets covering the abs. You know, it's like you, you occasionally see CBS as a microphone up uh, with, with Jared Bednar's post-practice conferences now. Um, it, it's, you know, there, there's definitely just there's more interest around Denver about the Avalanche. You know, obviously, you know other teams not <clears throat> not playing as fantastically as they usually do plays into that. But 
Um, and and the, the Avs have made a quick recovery from the miasma of last year. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I think it, it might sort of change the landscape a little bit and how people perceive the coverage of the team is, you know, you, you don't have to look to the, the post for everything. And there are other outlets that do good work and, you know, get, get away from the print being King deal. Yeah. There, there will be some fallout from this, whatever, excuse me, whatever it turns out to being. Um, but I do think it's, it's important to, to add to this, that not all of BSN's content is behind a paywall. Like they do have some articles that are still at least meant to be, you know, unlocked and free for everybody. I know that sometimes they've said something was, and that I had to sign in to see it, but at, at, at least the model isn't supposed to be a hundred percent subscription only. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, the athletic is the same way, you know, some, some things, you know, especially like the Michigan state investigation that we've been sort of following for the past couple of weeks and months. Um, you know, things, things that just sort of go beyond your daily newsy stuff, um, you know, should be out there ahead of the paywall. So the, I, I know that they have picked up like more subscribers than ever this weekend and their sale, their very timely sale has a lot to do with that also. But um, <laughs> ho- hopefully the, the people that are doing strong work will continue getting recognized for such. I mean, and, and we don't just say that with, with BSN being friends of the show. I mean, the they do fantastic work. They are using their new income source to travel with the team a little bit and, and actually make some, some road locker rooms as well and, and bring you more access than the Denver post can really care to right now. Yeah. Cause I mean, we've seen over the past years with the post sort of, you know, leaving a lot of their coverage out as far as road coverage, it's just, it's impossible to see what's going on with the team. If there's not at least one person that you can count on with the team. And, and you know, if that's going to be AJ and Adrian from now on, that's fine with me because I, I don't follow Chambers and I don't take anything he says as, as the truth. So it's it's nice to have someone that you, you know, are comfortable believing covering the team on the road. I've been trying to write an offside challenge in an all-star game tweet for the last 10 minutes, but I have no words. Sorry, says Roberto Luongo. <laughs> And that guy has a joke for everything. So does the NHL. <laughs> but I, I, I say I don't, but I, I enjoy drama quite a bit. And so this, this last couple of days has been hilarious for me to just kind of watch. Yeah. And It is. And as, as long as MMA remains legal, then I guess you can challenge whoever you want to an MMA fight. Not in Alberta. Yeah, that's what what Patrick was saying. In Edmonton, not so much. So speaking of outdated hockey things, uh, looks like Calgary has placed Yarmir Yager on waivers today. Um, And if he goes unclaimed, the, the plan seems to be to loan him to a European club for the rest of the season. So... Might finally be the end of the road for uh, for one of the all time greats, and that's you know sad to see. But I think with 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 what he's been able to do this year, it may be time finally. Yeah, I mean, I was I was reading somewhere today that it was very shooting percentage driven, but 
you know, lots of things go into shooting percentage. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, it's it's too bad to see see kind of end that way. Kind of, you always kind of want to see guys go out on a high, a little bit, or kind of on their own terms, but and not know, via a snowblower. Yeah, but <laughs> that'll it, never not be too soon. <laughs> the auger thing kind of started to become bigger than about him. It was just, it just seemed like the last maybe this year and last year it's just all about the spectacle about having this guy older than than the game still playing and how many yeah. different teams that he's played for and it just becomes like a sideshow and that's unfair to him obviously the career he's had you know everything he's done but i do think it kind of cheapens like people were even suggesting like like the avs pick him up like it was probably just joking but it's just like think about this like what are you really suggesting yeah it's just it's not fun when a person becomes a sideshow and i think people don't realize that's what it's become yeah and i i was quite young at the time but um you know i i got to see gordy howe play for the whalers when he was over 50 years old and you know he Back in those days, you could play hockey at that age and still be effective, just because the game was a lot slower. And, and if you were if you were skilled, you could do a lot. Um, but it, it sort of took on a little bit of a sideshow thing. It was sort of you know Gordy and his sons playing all the time and, and things like that. But um, you know, I I was never a huge Yager fan just because I didn't like him in the '90s and all that. But it you know he's had a fantastic career. He's, he's He's definitely a Hall of Famer and and done a lot of great things, but um, it's you know it's sort of tough to watch someone who stayed a year too too long. And not that and we, we know kind about of that. yeah, we <laughs> already saw that movie, so we're we're kind of done with that. And there's no telling how long he'll continue his pro career with with European teams. Yeah, but. Just wanted to throw a shout out in that direction because that's uh, an icon of the hockey world who will be out of sight for a little while, and that's uh, obviously the game will be will be poorer for that. Yeah, I'd I'd much rather remember him say, you know, as his last year being a year or two ago. Um, but Definitely I never I never Florida saw him. was still yeah. relevant. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that and... happened. Yeah. <laughs> Florida should have just quit while they were ahead. <laughs> Florida should have just folded and called GG while they were ahead. <laughs> they should so, have just become Vegas. There you go. <laughs> so uh, they, maybe maybe if it was the computer boys behind it, they would have named themselves the Aces, like a sensible franchise. <laughs> so this week the avalanche are on a three game trip through the western half of canada starting on tuesday eight o'clock mountain against the vancouver canucks that is 10 o'clock eastern so get your naps oh. in then on thursday they fly over to edmonton for a seven o'clock mountain start against the oilers those games will both be on altitude then on saturday it's slightly early a five o'clock mountain start against the winnipeg jets and that one's on altitude to the ocho those are two very winnable games and one tough one, but against a team that Colorado seems to have unexplainable success against right now. Yeah, we're two and zero against the Jets. Um, at home, though. That's true. At home, that's true. Jets are really good at home. 
Yeah, I mean, just this is this is sort of how the schedule, in a nutshell, will go for the next month. Is you've got two games against teams that aren't very good, and then a toughie. Um, you know, I, I, like I think it's, I, I think considering they lost their last two for, you know, understandable reasons, not not anything tragic. Um, I think they'll go two and one. I think they'll I think they'll win the first two and. They'll lose eh, barely to Edmonton. I mean, to Winnipeg. That's it's probably the most sensible call to think that they could beat Vancouver and Edmonton. You Even would hope so. Historically had real tough problems with both teams. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Historically, Vancouver's been a whole lot better than this. Yeah. <laughs> and Edmonton. Remember the Northwest Division? Oh. Yeah, and I remember playing like each team like ten times a year. Yeah, and it was like, well, yeah. time to lose to Vancouver like again. Up, <laughs> 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 oh, Shooty Sedin has a hat trick. What do you know? <laughs> hey, still playing. Um, yeah, I, I, I have. I, I must admit, I have not paid a single ounce of attention to Vancouver this year, other than looking at their record, which doesn't seem to be very good. Um, no, it can't say not. I've seen them either. <laughs> they have 44 points and a minus 32 goal differential, which is not good. No, it's not the worst, though. And in their last game, they lost to the Buffalo Sabres 4-0. to zero. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a that's statement not, loss. That's a toughie. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a great place to bounce back. You know, you've, it's going to be uh, Kerf's first game back in his home hood. That's, um, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, and if, if I, we don't think Barry's going to play, but maybe he will, and that's his home too. Yeah. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll have some good storylines. I, you know, I just want to see a good hard game and a. Vancouver kind of out of it the whole time and they can just get it back to doing what they were doing during the streak. I want to see health. Please be healthy. Yeah. Goals and goals, yeah. Drink yeah. your emergency. Um, but yeah, yeah I, this is one of those weeks where it's just like the most logical outcome is probably I mean, it just what? why would you pick anything other than two wins, both of them co coming first and then a loss to Winnipeg? And yeah, that's totally it, not going to be what happens, though. <laughs> no, it'll be the exact opposite. They'll, they'll I mean, lose right now, in overtime in Vancouver, and they'll get destroyed by the Connor McDavid's, and then they'll beat Winnipeg <laughs> five to two. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Basically, yeah, that would be the opposite. Because Colorado <laughs> yes. lives in the upside down. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think health and scoring is more important to me than the record. True. If they're still doing good things. It's easier to take than if they start getting into some old bad habits and issues, things like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the power play has been really bad lately, again. Um uh, be nice to see a goal there. <clears throat> um, the PK had one slip-up game this week. And again, there's, you know, there's plenty of other reasons for that. But, it, you know, it's like special teams on the road have been re really awful this year. So... 
at some place where they kind of weird. It really shouldn't make that much of a difference. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, Steph, you're always one that says ignore home road splits with special teams, but um, for some reason, (laughs) (laughs) that's because they're mostly garbage. That's right. But it's just like when you're first in at home and 31st on the road, what do you say about that? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's another thought for another podcast. We didn't think of what the difference would be. You say, huh, that's weird. That's about (laughs) it. (laughs) But that much of an extreme this far into the season, I I don't think you could say it's nothing, even though it's hard to find a logical reason. I mean, the uniforms just, look different on the road. Maybe so that's they're more different. confident at home, just in general. I I don't know. I mean, there's, there's which probably is, again, odd because... About. Yeah, which is also odd because they've been terrible at home for years. I know. They've usually been a good road team. That's why I'm not really, like, concerned they're going to play on the road. Um, yeah. I am concerned they score less on the road. I, I think that's a legitimate thing to think about, but... Usually it's good. It's good to get away, get together, focus only on hockey because at home there are distractions and family, things you got to take care of and this and that. Like it's usually not a good thing to play that much at home. Yeah. So I just, I I think any, like, I I think long road trips are bad. Long home stands are bad. Just, you know, it's good to keep moving. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think, I do think it's good for them to get on the road, especially since it's been mentioned a lot that they, they bonded well, the, the room's close and this and that. So it, it's good for them to go on the road and kind of kind of take things on together and spend a little bit more time together. So yeah, I'm not okay. as worried about it. I'm a little bit worried that the games are a little bit easier on paper than they're going to be. But, you know, we'll see how that starts against um, a couple teams they should beat. Yeah. I mean, they they did beat a variety of teams over the streak, so it's that that's one thing I th- I think that got sold short a little bit on the streak is that you know they won games in a in a bunch of different ways. It wasn't just you know <clears throat> it, it wasn't one thing winning them every night. I mean, it was goaltending and McKinnon, but there's a lot more that goes into that. So. Oh yeah, no, I, I think don't... They, they have a really good base to build off of. They just need to figure out what they're doing wrong on the road and fix it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was all about the streak either. I think, and we've talked about this before, that they've been slowly kind of getting closer to their identity and playing better. I think once they first, with that, um, the first win on the road in Florida in December, I think they they've played better since that point. So it wasn't just about the 10 games. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that there are a bunch of road troubles that skew some of their home road splits and, and the road problems being early in the year. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, they had that tough road trip. I mean, going to Tampa and Washington and Pittsburgh and that, that's a real tough road trip. Yeah. But I, I do want to just kind of highlight, finally, one phrase that, that you just said, Earl, and that's just keep moving. And if, that, if there's anything that the Avalanche are going to do from here on out, it is just keep moving. Because starting on Tuesday, they have two-day breaks three times the rest of the year. Other than yeah. that, they pl- isn't that if they didn't play today, they definitely played tomorrow. And if they did play today, they might play tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, after this, after this, it's it's going to go pretty pretty quick here 
So, say yeah. bye to your families. It's hockey time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a lot of games to talk about and a, a lot of different things. Because it does kind of feel like we're in a holding pattern a little bit with the injuries, you know, the deadline coming up. Kind of, We're all kind of waiting to see, okay, where do we go from here? And it, it's kind of felt like that for the last... I think this whole month, just with the breaks and and the streak was nice as something to kind of grab onto. But other than that, I think we've all been kind of like, all right, how does this story end kind of thing? <laughs> February will do a lot to determine how that story ends. Yeah. Colorado have a lot of winnable games. And then in March, as the college players start to have the schedule drag on them, the games also get tougher. So whether they go on another 10 game run in February or things start to fall off, you know, you can find out right here on the Burgundy radio podcast, which you can find at SoundCloud on, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Burgundy radio. Let's get that in the right order or on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash Burgundy radio. Or on iTunes, or on your favorite RSS catcher, or on the Google Music Play thing. I don't know what the exact name of that store is, but Earl made sure we got on it. We it's po- good. It's Google Play. We always post the show on BurgundyRainbow.com, where you can leave comments, and you can join us on the Discord to yell about anything you want, really. Um, with, within reason. Don't, don't yell about anything ridiculous, or we will possibly hit you for it. Um, but in the meantime, you keep your head up, get the dirty areas, and we will see you all next week. I think we're going to do our draft pod tonight. Oh, I got to get thinking about that. Who's on wow. that? Uh, Rudo and Nathan. We're going to go deep. <laughs> nice. So when do we expect when can we expect to hear that one? Um, I would assume we'll probably have it posted by tomorrow. So we'll see. Okay. So if you've stayed tuned past the past the outro, keep a, keep an eye <laughs> out for that. Special bonus teasers. Special <laughs> bonus teasers. Free advertising space in the part of the show no one listens to. <laughs> <laughs> Buy bonds where you work or bank. <laughs> Buy banks where you bond. What? <laughs>